The accounting firm of Haynes, Eisenbarger, and Skiba presents a 25th Silver Anniversary College Football Hall of Fame season of Fighting Irish Preview. And now, here's your host, Phil Houck. For 22 months, the greatest of all college football weekends has been on hiatus in South Bend, Indiana. But this weekend, it is back. And just in case your memory has faded a bit, here is a refresher course. May I have your attention, please? The nation's first university band and the hike step routine. Trumpets under the dome, the pep rally, and stadium flyovers. Gold helmets, the golden dome, the bookstore, and the shirt. A shot of whiskey and a cigar left at Rock's grave. Leahy, Moose, Rudy, Lou, and the era of era. The bagpipe band, tailgate parties, player walk, and more tailgate parties. The leprechaun, the grotto, the gipper, and the Irish guard. Notre Dame, our mother, the 1812 overture, and America the beautiful. The victory clog and the victory march. We are ND and mass at the Basilica 30 minutes after each home game. Fair catch Corby, we're number one Moses and touchdown Jesus. This is what we live for. And this week, when the 1-0 blue and gold take the field against the Toledo Rockets for their home opener, the thing that millions of God, country, Notre Dame fans live for and missed so much last year is back. Because here come the Irish. Now, stay tuned for Fighting Irish Insight from America's foremost authority on Notre Dame football, Tim Priester, senior editor of irishillustrated.com. After these words from Haynes, Eisenbarger, and Skiba, Sher McCulloch Auctioneers, and Flight by Yingling. Raise the bar with only 2.6 grams of carbs and 95 calories. This is Fighting Irish Preview. The University of Notre Dame exemplifies dedication to hard work, integrity, and personal values, which result in success in the classroom and on the football field. The professionals at Haynes, Eisenbarger, and Skiba, like Notre Dame, know the same dedication, and their experience and expertise provide peace of mind for you and your business. Tax planning, tax compliance, auditing, business valuation, and estate planning, the full-service accounting firm of Haynes, Eisenbarger, and Skiba, like the Irish, has what it takes to help you achieve success. Located in Fort Wayne near Jefferson Point, Haynes, Eisenbarger, and Skiba proudly supports Notre Dame football and congratulates all those who are a part of the greatest tradition in all of sports. Go Irish! This is Art Salzburg. I don't speak for a lot of companies, but Shearer McCulloch is a firm that provides a great and much-needed service. As Sharon and I get older, we've been thinking of moving, but frankly, the thought is somewhat overwhelming. That's where Shearer McCulloch comes in with a full-service plan that takes the pressure off. Listen to this. Shearer McCulloch will sell your house, auction the items you don't want to take, then pack everything else and move you. In sports terms, that's a blowout win. Shearer McCulloch uses an international auction platform to make sure your possessions are seen by the right buyers. They'll get top dollar for your special treasures. Sheer McCulloch is highly recommended by leading retirement communities and law firms, plus their AAA with the Better Business Bureau. Call them at 441-8636. That's 441-8636. They'll make your moving experience easy and profitable. 
Shearer McCulloch. Introducing Flight by Yingling, the next generation of light beer. For those who don't follow trends, but craft them. Flight by Yingling is 12 ounces of uncompromised refreshment from America's oldest brewery. With only 2.6 grams of carbs and 95 calories, this is premium refreshment, six generations in the making. Don't just raise a glass, raise the bar. Flight by Yingling, now available wherever beer is sold. DG Yingling and Sun Incorporated, Pottsville, Pennsylvania. Please enjoy responsibly. Hi, this is Brett Rump. Congratulations, Phil and Tim. 25 great years of Fighting Irish Preview. Now back to Fighting Irish Preview with your host, Phil Houck. Well, Tim Priester, you know, I thought that game was in Tallahassee, but by the end of the night, I thought I was on a roller coaster ride down in Disney World in Orlando. Tim, you are known for your hunches before games. What kind of vibes were you feeling uh, about last week's game right before kickoff? I, I mean, I thought it was concerning for Notre Dame. I figured that it would um, it would be close. Now, when Notre Dame got up 38-20, to 20, you figured that they would be able to seal it, and they did some things defensively, and that may have opened the door a little bit for Florida State. And then offensively, I didn't think they buttoned it up like a lot of people say. I just don't think that they completed a couple passes and they had a sack and what have you. So, I mean, the atmosphere, when Nordin scored immediately, took took a 7 nothing lead, it took the crowd out of the game. And I thought this was an opportunity for them to, you know, keep it rolling in that direction. But once the, once the 89-yard touchdown run came about um, – you kind of knew that the fans were going to be in it for the rest of a night, a very hot, steamy night in uh, in Tallahassee. Yeah, I you know, I came back to flashbacks definitely of, of Florida State and their glory days. And then when I saw that crowd and I started thinking of Miami a couple of years ago and that crowd and how that can affect a, a, especially a young offensive line. And my hunch wasn't too solid. But like I said, the game, uh, clearly a roller coaster. Fortunately, uh, we ended in a good way. Uh, and we did learn plenty last week. And and we'll get to some of the bad things I think we may have learned. But I'm an optimistic guy, so let's talk about the positives first. Irish beat a Power 5 team in front of a raucous crowd. That's a good thing. Also really good, I thought, was the debut of Jack Cohn. Let's talk about him. 26 of 35, 366 yards, four TDs. Tim, what did you think, and did anything about his performance surprise you? I'm not sure that I, you know, I still had some doubts, you know, like, let's see how accurate you really are. He's pretty darn accurate. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I mean, if Michael, Mayer, if Michael Mayer doesn't drop a couple passes, Jack Cohn completes 80% of his throws. Uh, he was really good. He, he was really good. He was very composed. I think we, we anticipated that. Um, you know, I thought he did a, a, a really nice job of, of uh, protecting the football and being accurate with his throws. And he's not going to be a, a guy that's going to run all over the place. And he is going to get sacked a few times. But they got into the red zone twice and scored two touchdowns. Um, I thought he did a really, really nice job. And if he can do that in his first game at Florida State, I, I would anticipate that he's going to be steady in the boat moving forward. Well, there were two things that specifically impressed me, and one was just one play. And the, the, the pass to Austin for the touchdown pass was a thing of beauty, and it shows that his ability to be decisive and to go downfield. 
that was a great place, something that we had difficulty the last few years. But the thing that was even more remarkable to me was 10 for 10 on his targets to his running backs. And you and I both know that was a part of the game, too, that that Ian Book struggled with was those short, little, easy passes out into the flat. And then also that screen pass that he threw to Kyron Williams, that was perfectly executed. That's going to be an important part of Notre Dame's offensive game, especially if there are going to be times where they're going to have difficulty running the football. You've got to be able to get you have to get the ball in the hands of, of Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree somehow. And if handing it to them becomes problematic, then you can throw it to them. So, yeah, 10 for 10, that was something that I that I saw right away in the stats that he his targets were, were perfect to the running backs and, and uh, the throw to Kevin Austin. Yeah. The van. I wish you'd been in the press box with us, Phil, because the vantage point that Tim O'Malley and I had was like basically right behind that throw and the trajectory to Austin. And I knew when he released it, you could tell it was a pretty pass, but it wasn't even halfway before O'Malley said, that's perfect. And that's exactly what it was. And, and, uh, how about Kevin Austin? He's going to be pretty good this year, too. Yeah, he is a living, breathing football player, as O'Malley might say. So that that was a great play. And, you know, 14-yard average per completion, 10.4 yards per attempt. Notre Dame fans have complained about not having a really good passing offense for a while. Well, I think you got one. But that's a good segue into where I want to go next, and that's the rushing game. 65 yards rushing, and you got two dynamic runners at your disposal. So it's got to be on the offensive line. I think we know that and we can't say that you haven't warned us Tim about that it's going to take some time but but let's talk overall about the performance of that line and break it down a little bit by individuals well first of all let the record show Florida State does have a really good defensive line they've got the imports of defensive end and we knew they were good on the interior so they were going against a a, a tough a formidable defensive front I thought uh you know, and evaluating, looking at the film of the game, I, I thought Zeke Corral, who, if you would have gone to our message board, you would have thought he was terrible. I thought he was very good. He threw the key blocks on the two longest runs by each running back on the touchdown he did. He ran almost stride for stride with Kyron Williams on a 55-yard screen pass, which was impressive. So I, I, I thought Corral did a nice job. I, Patterson at center certainly held, held his own. I thought Blake Fisher was doing a, a fine job. He had a hold in a in a, a uh, false start, but you know, freshman in that environment, I thought he was playing really well before his injury. I thought Josh Lug struggled. I, I, I thought he kind of looked stiff and, and tentative, and he's better than that. Uh, and I think he will play better than that. And Caden Madden, uh, it was an experience for Caden Madden going up to the Power Five level. Uh, but I, I also know that he's a big, strong dude, and he's going to get some things done for them. Well, I think he probably learned a lot uh, during the game. But how about Michael Carmondy? And, of course, we'll talk more about injuries in the second segment. But uh, he's going to be the left tackle now. How did he perform? Yeah, you know, he, he had the one that everybody saw, the the sack. He got off the snap late. Nordin was struggling a little bit with the silent cadence because of the crowd. And he, and he, he got off the snap late and gave up a sack but otherwise you know he's a strong he's a strong kid he's probably stronger than the average redshirt freshman uh, offensive lineman I think that Fisher is definitely I mean he's he's going to be a really good player and trending in the right direction but they're going to be without him for a little while I think Carmody can hold his own I, I 
Um, you know, he's been in the program this is his second year. That's not a lot for an offensive lineman, but I thought he did okay. I, I thought he was physical and aggressive and active. And, uh, you know, in that environment, that's step number one is being able to play free and easy. I thought he did. Well, former four-star recruit, and he's going to get valuable. He w- he'll be an experienced left tackle after this experience, and that's a good thing. I thought he actually played quite well. Uh, okay, defensive side of the ball, Tim Kyle Hamilton, two interceptions. He can... Cover the entire field in a single bound. Really impressive. The Irish got three interceptions total, five sacks for the Irish. That was good, but not good. An 18-point collapse in the fourth quarter. The Irish gashed for 264 yards and some big plays. Now, we talked about the high-risk, high-reward style that Marcus Freeman likes, uh, and we saw it early because we got an 89-yard touchdown pass after the Irish had been very aggressive and, and made some big plays. How did you feel about the three-man front situation? Because, frankly, you're a little more educated at this than me, but it was driving me crazy in the second half because they stuck with it and stuck with it, and Florida State kept running the ball effectively. I thought they mixed in. After the first drive, Norton was up 38-20, and they gave up a long drive in a three-down look. Uh, I I thought that they started to mix it up after that, but... I hate to second guess anything a, a, a defensive coordinator that's making seven figures because <laughs> we don't we don't know like we don't know like they do and let's face it Marcus Freeman is at Notre Dame because he's a very good defensive coordinator and has, has proven that in the past but you know I think you have to be judicious in how you use that front uh, a lot of people are saying to me well Notre Dame's linebackers look slow well. It, they weren't running by Nordings linebackers. They were there were a lot of missed tackles, and I think everybody was guilty of that. But when a line, when a linebacker has an offensive guard on him, you know he's not going to make a lot of plays and, and make tackles. And that's what the three man front creates when the opposition decides to run the ball when you're when you're in that front. So I don't want to overplay it. Uh, it the three three five is a weapon that Marcus Freeman has used and will continue to use. I just maybe I think that maybe there are some instances where they're better off with the four man front. I don't think Nordame's aggression really, really hurt them. It was when they took a more passive approach uh, to defending in the in the fourth quarter after they took an 18 point lead. Yeah, well, and you mentioned the linebackers and let's talk about J.D. Bertrand. Stepping in for the injured Maris Leofau and 11 tackles played exceptionally well. And I want to say something about missed tackles. Folks, you see a lot of missed tackles, particularly in first games. Uh, but then you also see the tackling get a lot better in second games. And that's something that, uh, at least over the years, I have noticed. And I would expect this team to get better at tackling. You agree? There's no doubt about it. You know, you mentioned J.D. Bertrand. He had 11 tackles. And tackles don't always explain everything that goes on in a game defensively. But Let's put that in perspective. First career start, 11 tackles. Last year's Will linebacker Shane Simon, 11 games, eight starts, a total of 14 tackles. J.D. Bertrand was active. Um, you know, Drew White is a good linebacker. Uh, I thought Isaiah Pryor did some good things, especially when he's he's moving upfield. I think he's better off in that role than he was, you know, in the secondary as a safety. So I thought they did some good things. Um, Isaiah Foskey. Broke loose, had a couple sacks. I just think, you know, I, I really think that the entire game was, or I should say the entire performance was a little bit slanted because of that 18-point 
streak that Florida State had in the fourth quarter. I know that's a you can't exclude that. I know that's a big part of it. That counts too. It definitely counts too. <laughs> but if you get a what I still think, if you get a proper call on uh, the running into the punter, Norne maintains possession there and probably scores again. And I don't, I don't think Florida State has that that kind of streak. Now it's up to Notre Dame to prevent um, you know the opposition to get on a roll like that. But we have to we have to take into consideration it was the first game of the year. There were more positives than negatives. Notre Dame had a couple of those questionable calls or, or one questionable call gone Notre Dame's way. I think it would have stemmed the tide. But uh, they did way more positive than negative. They probably shouldn't have had to go to overtime and win with a field goal in overtime because they had opportunities to pull away earlier in the first quarter. They had offensive opportunities that they didn't take advantage of. I think the second and third time around as we start to work our way through the season, you'll see a more consistent Nordian football team. I expect that as well. And uh, you you brought up the interesting overturns of some of the calls that, that all went against the Irish in the game. I intended to get into that. You already brought it up. I don't really want to talk about it anymore. But nonetheless, there were some rules interpretations in that game that I think it was the first game for the officials as well. And I trust they'll get better. Tim, no answer to the following is necessary. But in honor of the great humorist from the 1970s, John McKay, head coach of USC, and then the expansion Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I offer the following quip of his from a postgame press conference. We didn't tackle well today, but we made up for it by not blocking very well either. (laughs) And people laughed, and nobody thought he should be fired for saying a mean thing about his team. Thanks, Tim. Coming up, it's the all-time Irish hero, key to an Irish victory, injury report, and the world-famous Irish Illustrated prediction. And during the break, it's the Fighting Irish Fact of the Week, brought to you by Ron Wise and the Wise Insurance Agency. This is the 356th edition of Fighting Irish Preview. Introducing Flight by Yingling, the next generation of light beer. For those who don't follow trends, but craft them. Flight by Yingling is 12 ounces of uncompromised refreshment from America's oldest brewery. With only 2.6 grams of carbs and 95 calories, this is premium refreshment six generations in the making. Don't just raise a glass, raise the bar. Flight by Yingling, now available wherever beer is sold. DG Yingling and Sun Incorporated, Pottsville, Pennsylvania. Please enjoy responsibly. The Fighting Irish Fact of the Week is brought to you by our friends at the Wise Insurance Agency. Notre Dame is 5-0 all-time versus MAC opponents. The last time the Irish took on a MAC school was 2019, when they defeated Bowling Green 52-0. Call Ron Wise at the Wise Insurance Agency or go to thewiseinsuranceagency.com and get an auto or home quote in less than five minutes. Now back to Fighting Irish Preview with your host, Phil Halk. This is Fighting Irish Preview. It's Toledo at ND on Saturday in the home opener. Live stream coverage on Peacock starts at 2.30 p.m. South Bend time. Go to PeacockTV.com backslash ND offer for a special price to subscribe to Peacock. The service is free to many Xfinity and Cox Cable customers. And I'm sorry I had to say all that. And it's now time for the all-time Irish hero brought to you by the Marina at Lake Age. Chris Craft, Mastercraft, and Premier Pontoons, we share your boating passion. 
Last week, we started our series on the great running backs of the last 25 years with Autry Denson. But this week, we paused that series so we can talk about a former Irish star player and head coach who passed away this week. Terry Brennan, an explosive halfback and five-year head coach, passed away at the age of 93. Brennan had a successful career at ND as a running back from 1945 to 1948, scoring an impressive 21 touchdowns and playing on two national championship teams, 1946 and 1947. After graduation, he passed on pro football and moved to Chicago, where he became a high school football coach and won three straight city championships. In 1953, Frank Leahy offered him the job as head coach of his freshman team. And after one season, Brennan's meteoric rise continued. Leahy retired, and ND President Theodore Hesburgh offered the top job to Brennan, who was just 25 years old. When hired, Brennan was asked if he thought he was too young for the job. His reply, oh, I don't know. I'll be 26 in a few months. In five seasons at ND, he compiled a record of 32 and 18, and Brennan's tenure in South Bend was, except for one season, really pretty good. 9-1 and one in 1954 and 8-2 and two in 1955 and two top five rankings. But the wheels fell off with a 2-8 record in 1956, a season which was somewhat more palatable because Paul Horning managed to win the Heisman Trophy. In 1957, Brennan masterminded a 7-0 win at Oklahoma that ended the Sooners' all-time record 47-game winning streak. That team finished with a 7-3 record, but Brennan never quite recovered from the 56th season, and a 6-4 finish in 1958 sealed his fate. Terry Brennan lived to be 93 years old. He left six children, 25 grandchildren, and 32 great-grandchildren. Tim, it's hard to believe that an ND coach from 67 years ago was still with us. And now with his passing, we reflect on his legacy. Yeah, he really lived a very anonymous life after after Notre Dame football, after being the head coach. Can you imagine – 25 years old. I mean, people thought Tommy Reese was too young as coordinator at 28. 25 years old is hard to fathom. Uh, but it, it was interesting because Joku Herrick ended up succeeding him, and, and he really struggled. And if you look at the five years of, of Terry Brennan, it's kind of a lot like the Charlie Weiss era where he had two really good years out of the gate, had the bad year in between, and then Seven and three, six and four, certainly by Notre Dame standards following Frank Leahy wasn't good enough. But uh, breaking the 47-game winning streak is almost a three-touchdown underdog. He did some good things there. Had they been a little bit more patient, uh, I would I would venture a guess that things would have worked out better over the next five years than they did with Joe Kuharik. Well, I, I got the impression, uh, and I have done a little research on Brennan in the last couple of years mm-hmm. for other reasons, and he really was a brilliant football coach. He really had a brilliant mind for the game. And interestingly enough, while he was coaching high school ball in Chicago, he earned a law degree while he was there from DePaul University. And just in the last year, a book entitled Though the Odds Be Great or Small was co-authored by him. And it was about the 1957 season when ND ended that 47-game win streak of Oklahoma. Just published and it's on my nightstand as we speak. Terry Brennan, another Marina at Lake Gage all-time Irish hero. The Marina at Lake Gage, we love boats. And it's now time for the Aspen Mortgage Key to an Irish victory. Tim, last week, Toledo dominated FCS Norfolk State 49-10. Four and two a year ago, including their kicker and punter, the Rockets have returned an incredible 22 out of 24 starters. One of those who didn't come back is their quarterback, 
But 6'3", 215-pound sophomore Carter Bradley, who had seen significant action as a backup, has stepped in. Against Norfolk, Carter was 8 of 11 for 183 yards and a touchdown. And another quarterback played really well last week. Daquan Finn, 4 of 5 passing and explosive running the ball, 9 carries, 82 yards and a touchdown. Don't be surprised if he also sees action. So another two-headed monster at quarterback to contend with. Junior Bryant Kobach has led Toledo in rushing the last two seasons, and he posted 52 yards on nine carries and two touchdowns a week ago. 6'3 junior Isaiah Winstead is the top returning receiver, but last week 5'9 sophomore Devin Maddows made a splash with two catches for 91 yards, including an 84-yard touchdown catch. Defensively, the Rockets are deep and experienced. Every player from their 2022 deep is back. All conference players are at every level, including edge rusher Jamal Hines, a two-time all-conference selection who has 22 career tackles for loss and six and a half sacks. Last week, Hines paced the Rockets with seven tackles. A year ago in a six-game season, Toledo ranked a respectable 21st in the nation in scoring offense at 35 points per game and 36th in scoring defense at 34.3 points per game. They did, however, turn the ball over quite a bit and were one of the most penalized teams in the nation. The Rockets have recruited well the last five years. They're experienced, explosive, have a winning tradition, and they have two quarterbacks who most likely will play. But they are stepping up in class competition just a bit against the Irish. Tim Priester, what is the Aspen mortgage key to an Irish victory? They will use both quarterbacks. Carter Bradley's actually the son of Gus Bradley, the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. So he's a he's a football guy. Daquan Finn will play. And so Brian Kelly, actually, that was one of the first things that he mentioned. Um, you know, the the problems that having two different quarterbacks of those different styles will present but really good at running back really good at receiver i really really like their defensive line which is coached by larry black who was a grad assistant at notre dame a couple years ago i think the key for notre dame is you, you have to rely on jack Cohn. i think notre dame's gonna have difficulty running against that d line but i think there's some yardage against that back seven i think jack Cohn's going to have another big day They need to take advantage of some opportunities that they have downfield. All right, take advantage of those downfield opportunities in the passing game, and that is Tim Priester's Aspen Mortgage Key to an Irish Victory. And Tim Priester, who is this week's Aspen Mortgage Key player for the Irish? Well, I should pick a receiver, right? And I was trying to pick uh, Kevin Austin last week, and I went with Braden Lindsey, and Austin ends up having the touchdown. But I am going to say that it's going to be Kyron Williams because they have to find a way to get the ball in his hands. Now, it may not be when they hand it to him, but I think they're going to throw the ball downfield to him. Having seen him in practice, he is wide receiver-like. I think they're going to create some isolation plays for Kyron Williams. I think he's going to be a downfield threat along with the other wideouts as well. Okay, get the ball to Kyron Williams and maybe in the passing game. And that is your Aspen Mortgage Key Irish player this week. Aspen Mortgage, for all your mortgage needs, call 486-LOAN. And it's now time for the injury report brought to you by Indiana Physical Therapy. Your choice for physical therapy now with 21 Indiana locations. Tim, injuries mounting up. Where do the Irish stand health-wise this week? And also talk about Lawrence Keys leaving the football team. Yeah, there's a bunch, so let me get, get to it. Blake Fisher, offensive tackle, had surgery, meniscus surgery on his knee, out eight weeks. Kevin Ballman, fractured fibula, out six weeks. Shane Simon, the linebacker, uh, torn labrum, out for the year. 
Paul Mawala, unbelievable. Second Achilles injury. Brian Kelly said Notre Dame's doctors have never seen a guy tear each of his Achilles, so he's out for the year. And then, of course, Maris Leifau, we knew uh, with, with surgery last week that three players did not play over the weekend. We're still using uh, COVID protocol for those guys. Uh, Logan Diggs, the freshman running back, will be back. Two guys that will not be back this week. Botello and Sebo Flemister, we don't know exactly why those two are out. We'll find out in due time. Lawrence Keyes just couldn't get on the field. Too many good football players ahead of him. Uh, he wants to he wants to play more, and so he's stepping aside for the balance of the season. Well, he'll preserve his year of eligibility, and he will graduate from Notre Dame and have two years left, and no doubt uh, will move on someplace else. And it's now time for the world-famous Irish Illustrated Prediction, brought to you by PolyPro. Beautiful lifetime warranty garage floors in one day. Check them out at polyprofloors.com. My wife and I are sure happy we did. Tim Priester, Vegas says the Irish by 16 and a half. What does America's foremost authority say? I think that's a value line for Notre Dame uh, based upon maybe some some issues from last week where people are doubting what they're capable of doing. But there's no doubt Toledo's a good football team. They're going to contend for the Mac West with Western Michigan and Ball State. Uh, they almost beat Ball State last year in a come-from-behind uh, game with Carter Bradley at quarterback filling in. So this is a good football team, a uh, good Mac football team. I, I mentioned the areas where I think they're really strong. I think Notre Dame's offensive line, it's its, it's going to be a re- real challenge for Notre Dame's offensive line as they try to find cohesion. But if they give just enough time to Jack Cohn, Notre Dame's receiving core, I think, is really going to take advantage of the back end of the Toledo defense. I have Notre Dame 40, Toledo 17. Notre Dame 40, Toledo 17. Our predictions are going to be really close, Tim. I think the Irish uh, will respond well to last week's adversity, and they're going to improve in their tackling. Offensive line play, I think they, they feel they've got something to prove, and they, they're going to want to see the rushing game produce a little bit. And I expect fewer big plays on defense, just because I think the Irish have better athletes that will prevent that. But Toledo is plenty good, and that they're going to keep it close, I think, into the second half. Notre Dame 40, Toledo 20. Thanks, Tim. Thank you, Phil. Go Irish, and thanks for listening to Fighting Irish Preview. Special thanks to Jim Shovel and Brett Rump, Art Salzberg, and studio producer Adam Schenkel. Fighting Irish Preview is the copyrighted property of Judge Phil Productions.